You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. I'm really happy to be here. It's a pleasure for me. Fonte with a stupid header. I would like uh, to make the most of with this opportunity. Adacha, Field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1 0. Bufal shot. Oh my word. He ran around a bit, but Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markson, and whether this is your first time here or you've been here before, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. On episode 50, we've made some changes. Based on current runs of form, it was time to mix some things up. Hopefully they have the desired impact and we'll see better performances both on and off the pitch. As you may have seen if you're a Twitter follower, we have a new partnership. We are partnering with The Saints Report. You can find The Saints Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Join The Saints Report, follow along, stay up to date with all of your Southampton FC needs. Other things that are new this week, the intro music has been changed around, and we'll have a few other changes throughout the show. Let us know what you think by getting in contact with us on social media. It is the holiday season, and no matter what holiday you are celebrating, if you are in the mood to give, please give a review of this show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you don't listen in a way that allows you to leave a review, please consider sharing the show with someone you know. You can retweet the link, you can write your own post, you can tag the podcast in a tweet or a Facebook post. Whatever way you share the show, please do that. And remember that we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on Twitter and Instagram and at Facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. On episode 50, we're joined by Chris Ran. Chris runs the georgewarescousin.com website. You can find him on Twitter at CRSteak. He needs very little introduction. Uh, He's been around a while. He's been a vocal Saints fan for some time, and he's been on the show before. So uh, I was really excited to be able to talk with him about the Leicester City and Chelsea matches and what's going on at the club. Uh, We talked for quite a while, and uh, we don't want to take up too much time here. So let's go ahead and move to my interview with Chris Ran. Hope you enjoy it. We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SOC fans, Chris Ran. You can find him on Twitter at CRStig, and you can visit his website at georgewarescousin.com. Chris, welcome back to the show, and thank you for joining me again. Hey, no problem, Matt. Uh, just to, to say congratulations on the 50th episode. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being the 50th episode guest. Um, obviously, I haven't had 50 different people, but maybe I have. It's, it's been a lot, but I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't do this without uh, all of you guys coming on the show because nobody wants to listen to just me talk about the team and, and I don't want to do that. So uh, thanks for being a part of it and teaching me about the game so much. No problem. It's an honor. Unfortunately, though, that's probably the best news we have for the day um, because you know, we haven't had the best run of results recently, but we'll we'll get into that uh, soon. But your website, George Wars Cousin, people haven't visited. You do some stuff on there that's that's quite 
funny. Uh, you usually normally do some voting towards the end of the year about uh, awards and things like that. Uh, but recently, you did uh, kind of an Ultimate Saints 11. And I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, or if you want to kind of point out who, who made your team and, and whatnot, or did that stir up any controversy when you did it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, the, the Saints were running this um, Ultimate 11 uh, competition to pick, you know, the, the Ultimate 11 play- Saints players that, that have played for the club uh, with 150 plus appearances. And uh, I tweeted mine and, and got some interesting replies and some people quite angry about it um, that I didn't include Terry Payne or I didn't include someone else from 1965. And, and the way I look at it was that to me, picking, picking people that I never saw play was a, a little bit ridiculous. Um, so I sort of decided to write that up on my website, pick my team, be, be open about who my team was. I didn't, I didn't see the need for it to be a secret. I've got some uh, odd responses. I mean, I, I find the, the whole thing baffling, really, that, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's just you picking picking your favourite players. And if your favourite players don't make it in the vote, that doesn't stop them being your favourite players. So I just sort of found it a little bit ridiculous. My, my team is only players that I saw play or I remember playing for Southampton. There's a couple of players in there that I never saw live, but I remember seeing on the TV playing for Southampton. Um and this mean my team is the t- is a team that's the ultimate eleven to me. I guess is the way I saw it. Other people saw it that you've got to assess who was the best in this position. But if you never saw them play, I don't see how you can pick them the best. You know, that's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be difficult to to compare across. I mean, the game's changed so much. You know, anybody yeah, who played. Absolutely. In the Premier League era, there have been kind of huge changes in systems and and what roles are for different positions and things like that. So, I think it, I think it would be difficult to do that. And I I totally agree. You're just voting for the players that you think are the best, that are your favorite, and you know. Yeah, and it, it doesn't mean anything. So you know, there's no need to be angry about it. It doesn't it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change who you like. That's the, that's the way I see it. And you know, for me, supporting a football team is a, a labor of love. And and the, the players I picked are the ones that you know made me smile, made me happy. The, the one thing I can say is, uh, whenever you they do the uh, team of the week for MLS here in here in the states, they always pick a three man back line, always. Um, okay. But I think only one or two teams in the entire league play a three man back line, so it's just because they mm-hmm. want to put more, you know, they want to put more attacking players in that le- in that team, so everybody. They always pick a three-man back line just because they want more midfielders and things like that. The, the formation would never work. You know, it's always shoehorned think, in and, and things like that. I think in the UK, that's, that seems to have changed with trend. I think it always used to be a 4-4-2 formation for Team of the Weeks. And I think that's changed now with trend to having like a, you know, a, a convoluted continental formation, if you like, a, a 5-3-2 or a 4-2-3-1. So I think the, the, the journalists here have, have tried to keep up with the change in uh, tactics but really if it's team of the week formation should suit who were the best players i think why why does that have to be a fixed formation right right uh at school our teacher team we always play a 4-4-2 because we have one really old teacher who demands we play a 4-4-2 it is the best formation ever um and i say that and we haven't won a game in three years so um maybe one day they'll let me me change it yeah but sometimes sticking to principles is better than winning right (laughs) i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I guess I guess that that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about here. You've seen you've seen the you've seen the movie Mike Bassett. No. Okay, that, you should do that for homework. You should watch the uh, English football movie Mike Bassett, England manager. All right. All right. So, yeah, there's a lot of talk of four four two in that. 
All right, I'm typing that out so you can hear that right now. And <laughs> it's I'm not missing. a particularly good movie. It's not a particularly good movie, by the way, but there's some there's some funny bits in it. But I mean, I'm off for three weeks right now, so we'll we'll uh, we'll make we'll make it happen. Um, anyway, <laughs> welcome back to the show, and thanks for again for making me laugh because I kind of need it at this point. Um, but let's go ahead and, and start in kind of on the uh, on the Leicester City match. Coming off of the performance against Arsenal at the weekend, kind of almost had our hearts ripped out a little bit uh, right at the end there. Uh, looked like we were going to get a, uh, a win, uh, only came away with a draw. But coming into the Leicester City match then, I was expecting us to to play with that kind of same intensity and things like that. And I think we did initially. Uh, I think the first couple of uh, of minutes, uh, we looked okay, and then it kind of fell apart. But um, did you have any issues with the formation that we chose and the personnel that we chose uh, going into that match? Well, I think what happened was, and uh, Saints have done this to me, many times over the last 25 years, um, they, they lulled us into a false sense of security. Uh, we performed well against Arsenal. We should have won, perhaps. Well, we should have won, actually. Uh, we, we, we lost it late. Uh, we uh, lost the points late, sorry. And uh, so when the, the, we have Leicester at home next, Claude Puel coming back, we all let ourselves be tricked into thinking, oh, this, this, could, this could be a nice home win. Um, with regards to the team... Um, I'll, I'll tell you the conversation that we had in Dubai in the bar. Um, we gluttons for punishment. We were there at midnight, um, excited to see Saints get a nice home win. And actually, the conversation we had leading in, up to the game was, is this our best team uh, that's been picked here? And to be honest, the majority vote was that this was our best lineup. Um, with perhaps the only contentious position, Yoshida was, is Yoshida better than Hoot? That's that's perhaps the only conversation to be had. Right. Or perhaps Hoiberg was was uh, unlucky not to play after his recent performances. So yeah, I mean, on the whole, everyone was quite looking forward to what we thought was going to be a comfortable home win. Yeah, I mean, and, and Leicester obviously are playing well right now. Um, and there, I think there was a little bit of added significance with Puel coming back, and I think the larger footballing world kind of looking at us thinking that we kind of did him some sort of injustice, you know, maybe he, he didn't deserve to go. Yep. It wasn't him. Um, and I understand that from somebody who doesn't maybe watch every week. The narrative, the narrative was there. Yeah. We, we treat, we treat him badly. Let's, let's not be around the bush. We did, we did treat him badly. Um, from an outsider's, from an outsider's point of view, point of view, he did, he did well on table. He did a good job at Saints. Right. Right. And Absolutely. that's, that's how all, that's how all outsiders are going to view it. So for every neutral watching the game, this was the chance for a spurned man who also got unnecessary abuse, let's face it, from some of our supporters. Yes. Which the one thing he did do as Saints manager was he kept his dignity. I mean, he, he, he wasn't, he didn't leave Saints as some huge villain, or at least he shouldn't have. No. So from, from an outsider's point of view, this, this was a, a guy with a chance to get his own back, and, uh, and he did just that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote somewhere something that, you know, he beat us with the kind of football we all dreamed of him playing when he was at Southampton, you know, like that's what we yeah. wished we could have seen. And, and he, he used it against us, but uh, going back to the lineup. Yeah. The, somebody tweeted right when that lineup came out, like this is the lineup I dream of us playing, you know? And unfortunately that tweet didn't age well because we looked terrible. Um, but yeah, I think, I think maybe Hoiberg has uh, based on his recent performances should have been in there, but then who does he displace? You know, uh, it seems like we've, uh, turned our backs on Romeu to some extent from being player of the year last year and, and all this stuff to, to being a guy that we want him out of the lineup. And it's, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of see. And, but I guess it is understandable because players 
form changes not just from week to week, but from year to year. And it's not a, it's not a, maybe a constant improvement type of, of situation. Well, I mean, from, from the, from that team lineup, I, I mean, I wouldn't, before the game, I wouldn't have been pushing for Romeo to be dropped. My, my position on that has changed. I do think it's time to, uh, leave him out for, for a game. Um, I've got here in my notes that the three players, I mean, no one was good. Let, let's make that clear. No one Correct. was good against Leicester. But the three players who stood out as being very bad for me in that game were Cedric, Van Dyke, and Romeo. Mm-hmm. Then no one else was much better, but those three stood out to me as, as having had four games. Yeah. And that, the, if you look at the way Leicester are playing with confidence at the moment, and if three of your defensive unit have poor games, then the outcome isn't actually that surprising. No, no. And, and like you said, that some of those guys, you weren't, you wouldn't expect them to have games like that. Like you wouldn't expect all three of them to have a shocker in the same game. And and I wonder if we rushed, I wonder if we rushed Cedric back. Yeah. Was it, was it the wisest move to put Cedric straight back in? Because he didn't have a very good game. And of course we now know what, 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 what's happened against uh, Chelsea. He's gone down injured again. Right. Right. And, and Bertrand. And we'll talk about that because that, that, uh, that doesn't spell good things for us in the future. I don't think, um, but so changes in and out and all that stuff, but, uh, back to the four, two, three, one, which I thought, I thought we were going to be just fine. I thought we would give them a game and, and, and we did for nine minutes. And then that was kind of, um, but one thing I noticed watching on TV is that the stadium is relatively empty at the start of it, at least from the camera angle that I saw. And I'm here in the States. So midweek games are hard to watch because it's, it's 12 noon, um, had we not been on a minimum day schedule, I probably wouldn't have been able to to watch it all. And I still have technically stuff to do, but I scheduled meetings and with myself and I watched the game and it was great. Um, but is, is a midweek match? Is that, do you, does there has to be some, something extra to draw people into a midweek match to come out on a, uh, on a weeknight like that? I mean, I think it's, I think it's just down to the, the form and the, and the level of entertainment people are getting. It's, it, it's, it's a lot easier to, to go to a very, a very cold stadium on a Wednesday night after you've been working all day when, the team are on good form. Um, I mean, I was I was surprised to see it that empty. It looked, it looked like crazy empty. I don't know what the attendance was actually, but it looked really bad. Um, and I think you know it, it, people do vote over their feet. I mean, that that could be a visual a visual sign to the, the people upstairs at Saints that you know we've had eighteen months of not much fun. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, anyway, we, we we started that game. We were attacking. We got two corners right away. Uh, we looked somewhat dangerous. And then it seemed like that Mara's goal kind of just set the tone for the rest of the match. Um, and I don't know if I can, I think that's true. I, and what, what I, what I saw yeah. was that, that Bertrand came and he came and we lost the ball and Bertrand tried to close down whoever had the ball and he kind of put, tucked in, um, narrow and high up the pitch and was caught out of position. And then Mara's was kind of just set free. Lamina the, slips. The, the, Go ahead. The Cardinal, the Cardinal sin. The Cardinal sin watching that goal and every single one of us that was watching in Dubai said exactly the same thing as Mares has got the ball. Don't back off Mares. Every, everyone knows what this guy can do. And our players backed off him and backed off him and backed off him and backed off him. Almost like a, go on, see, see what you can do. See if you can score from here. Go on, have a go. And, and so what did he do? It, it, it's so frustrating to watch. Um, and it, that was base, real basics. Yeah. And when, when Lamina slipped and nobody stepped forward to kind of close him down, you know, Yoshida is probably five yards from him when he takes the shot and that's just too far. And that shot was still from outside the area. And, 
you know, I don't know if, if we expect Forrester to get there or not, but it was, it was demoralizing. And from there it was, I think it was downhill. I think we, we kind of, it was, it was game over looking back. Yeah. One thing I did notice was that they were playing balls up to, up to Vardy uh, a lot throughout portions of the match. And he was able to kind of just one touch them back to a, a midfielder or somebody else who was close enough to him to be able to do that. And then he's making runs and they're doing one, two, uh, three kind of, uh, one or two touch passes and they're in creating chances. And that is, I haven't seen our defense get carved open that way in a long time. And you start to wonder like, you know, and, and the manager spoke about it afterwards. Were we, were we a hundred percent there? You know, were we, were we really in it? And it didn't really seem like we were. Well, the, for me, there was two, there was two major problems um, that, that are key to why we got not just beaten, but, but soundly beaten. Um, one is tactical. Um, we we weren't making committed defensive moves. At least the back four weren't. If you if you look at the stats for the game, our midfielders were trying their best, but our defence were backing off players. They weren't marking tightly. They were backing off players. Um, I think in total, Van Dijk and Yoshida made two tackles between them the whole game. Whereas against Chelsea, if you just fast forward a second to the to the back three against Chelsea, we made seven tackles. And in a game where we're playing a much better team. And, uh, but weren't under the cosh because our defenders were actually making tackles. Right. And I don't know if that was, a, that was a conscious t- tactical decision by Pellegrino or not. It may have been not. It may be just a coincidence. It may be in the players just weren't, weren't at the races. Um, the second problem was the commitment of the players. We, in that game against Leicester, we were second to everything, everything. Even when we, even when we were 4-1 down, they were, they were busting a gut to get to everything and our players were half-hearted. Mm-hmm. And it, like, Van Dyke was appalling. He was, it was almost like, it was the performance of somebody who couldn't care less. He wasn't closing people down. You know, he was a, he was at fault as much as anyone. Um, and I don't know if, if, if that was a, a sign that, you know, his days are, are finished because it, you can't have that lack of commitment and expect to get anywhere in the Premier League. It's just no. not going to happen. No. And, uh, Leicester, everyone knows of Leicester. They're a very good team on the break. They have been for two or three years. And what did they do? They sat back and every time they broke, they looked like they were going to score. You know, that game, that game could have been, could have been five, six and one. And we'd have, we could have had no complaints. Yeah. The, the, uh, I think several people tweeted during, during the match, like, Hey, this just in Leicester's pretty good on the counter. And their second goal comes from a corner that they won off of a counter. And, and they just, they just beat, like you said, they beat us to everything. They beat us to, to balls in the box. We didn't close people down. We allowed them to get shots and crosses off without any kind of real pressure. And, and that to me, like you said, that shows a lack of commitment uh, on the players. Like they, they had mailed it in at some point. And to me, that's, that's maybe the most unacceptable thing. Like I can take a loss, you know, you can get, you can get beaten and beaten badly, but you gotta you gotta show up. And I, I just didn't think it, it happened. Yeah, if we'd have battled our hardest and lost that game two one to a goal on the break, you'd have said, okay, fair enough, it happens. But there was a there was a, a, a level of of gutlessness in that team performance, and and like you said, that that's, that's unacceptable. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can see from your own corner, I mean, what's going on there? That it's just basics. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's that's what went wrong for me in that game. There was the, the team, for whatever reason, weren't doing the basics right, and that's why you end up getting hammered. I mean, a, a, a good stat that I saw during the game, and I, I haven't verified it, so if it's wrong, I apologise. 
But that was the first time Okazaki's ever scored two goals in one Premier League game. I heard that as well. I think it is correct, but we'll see. <laughs> and stats, stats like that just, just don't bode well, do they? No. And he also got an assist, which yeah. he, I don't think he had ever done either. Uh, assist and a goal in the same game. Yeah, and it's crazy. What, what, what is crazy and shows what, how like ridiculous the Premier League can be at times is there was that opportunity for Austin at 3-1 with about 20 minutes to go. Uh-huh. And you think it was just before they went 4-1 up. If Austin put that, they'd put that away... And it's three two, you know. Maybe things would have been different. Maybe maybe we would have had the impetus to get a point. I don't know, but we wouldn't have deserved it. No, it, no. It, I mean, everything about it was pretty embarrassing, to be honest. And it, it, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. But I think a lot of people felt the same as me. As disappointing and and horrible as it was, you kind of felt a little bit pleased for Claude Pure. Yeah. He's he you know he 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 got unnecessary grief from us. And of course, being the man he is, he showed the dignity not to rub that in our faces. Right. If I'd have been Claude, if I'd have been Claude Pure at that final whistle, I'd have been running on the pitch and jumping and punching the air. Yeah. Center but circle clapping not, everybody off. Yeah, he's not. But he's not that kind of guy. Fair play to him. I mean, I'll, gi- I'll give you another caveat to this game. Um, on, on Saturday, I was driving, um, and I had the local radio that does the international commentary here, and I listened to Leicester v Palace on the radio. Okay. And this is what, three days after they've turned us over at St. Mary's, 4-1, and they're playing Palace at home, and Palace hammered them in the same way they hammered us. Uh-huh. Tore them to pieces. They won 3-0, they, they could have been could have been way more. So, Saints aren't in a good place at the moment, um, and the, 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 the trick is now, is how do we get out of it? Yeah. And what, sometimes what I don't understand is, is the, how a team can go from just three or four days in between matches and be that different, you know, like it, it, we saw, you know, Leicester was a different team on Wednesday than they were on, on, on Saturday. And and so were saints. And I don't, I guess I don't quite understand. I don't understand how you don't keep that up. Um, and I know teams suffer sometimes, but it seems like every other game, we don't know which, which Southampton team is going to step out there on the, on the pitch. Yeah. We don't, we've got, we've got no identity. We no, I don't think any, I think if you ask, the coaching staff or the back, backroom guys at Saints, what is our remit? What is Southampton Football Club's remit when we go on the pitch? I don't think they could tell you. No. Any complaints on on the manager and how he handled that match in terms of substitutions or or in game changes or anything like that? No, because I think I think he was shell shocked. By the time he could change anything, it was too late. Yeah. You know, the, the game was the game was lost in the first half. He, he he didn't have he didn't have time to react and. Would he have reacted in the right way anyway? Probably not. No, and I almost—I'm not even sure if—if if when we go down by two, if he makes a, like I'm not sure you make a substitution at that point. I'm not sure you pull off a defensive midfielder and you pull off Romeo and say like, "This is what we're going to do now." Because I don't think that really does. I don't know if that no, does no, anything for anybody's confidence and or, or anything else. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's a difficult one when 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 you're in a situation, and I'm sure he was in that situation where you're thinking, right, well, the game's lost. 38, 38 minutes, they're three 0 up. The game's lost. So, you know, what do you do? What do you do for the best? Do you try and see the game out and keep people's confidence up? Or do you try and go for it? There's an argument to say that 3-0 down, going for it's a waste of energy. Yeah, going into the into the fixture kind of congested uh, timeline yeah. that we're on. Yeah, and, and we have other other matches that are, you know, Chelsea, I don't think we, 
very many people in terms of the the, the voting well, I saw, nobody thought it was winnable. But we we have a, a match against Huddersfield, and then we have other. We need to pick up points now. You know, one of my concerns with Pellegrino is we, we went into that we went in at half time three nil down at home to Leicester. It's the, uh, I think it was the the first time we were that we were that many down at you know in the first half for a long time at home for years. Perhaps back to 2005, I think I saw was the last time we were three nil down at half time at home. And but I don't think he's the character. What 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 that dressing room needed was uh, a telling off. And I was going to use a different word then, but I'm not sure what's allowed on the podcast. Thank you. But he he, he they needed to be ripped a new one. Yeah. For want of a better phrase. And I don't think he's the character to do that. No, no, probably not. Uh, and I can say that yesterday uh, on the touchline, he looked more nervous against Chelsea than I've seen him look in a long time. I think he's as confused as anyone. I, I think I think that's the reality. I, I, I think we're all in the stands or watching on TV and we're bemused at what we're seeing from this sort of schizophrenic Southampton team that looks like it look, does puts a good show of itself against Man City, is unlucky not to beat Arsenal, then gets run ragged by Leicester. Uh, I, I think even he's abused by it, and that's that's what worries me because I don't think, it, to me, it looks like he knows how to fix it. And yeah. If you don't know how to fix it, how long can you be allowed to be given the the, the job of fixing it? Because if you can't if you can't fix it now, and you're not going to be able to fix it in another three or four months' time, that might be too late for us. I've never been a reactionary Saints fan. I've never been a one to really chase for managers to lose their job, but. I, my fear is if we don't act before January and it doesn't get any better, we're in big trouble. Uh, I, I do have a couple of questions on, on that note is afterwards, people were really upset with the manager. Uh, I saw a lot of blame going towards him um, for being kind of out tactically maneuvered by, by Puel is, is kind of what people were saying. Um, do you think that's the case or was it uh, a case of him being let down by the players or is it a combination of those things or what, what did you make of, of some of those comments that were flying around on social media? I think it's a combination. I think, I think he was tactically, he was soundly tactically beaten. I don't, I don't know what the instructions were for our players, but like I said, if you look at it statistically, we, we had more possession, but when we didn't have possession, we didn't seem to be making tackles mm-hmm. almost, almost like we were told to stand off their players, which is very odd. Um, but also, like I said earlier, there were players in that game that didn't didn't give their they didn't do a professional job. They didn't give their everything in that game. You know, Van Dyke was wandering around the back line, you know, like without a care in the world. Yeah. It's, I don't want to I don't want to pick on Van Dyke because he's a contentious character anyway. But he 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 was a standout for me. Like I said, like and Cedric and Romeo, who was player of the season last year, and for me, he hasn't really done a, a great deal this year at all. Um, but in this game, he was he was particularly poor. Um, I don't know what's happened with him. Um, so you can't blame the manager entirely, but the manager's job is also to motivate these players. Yes, it's not just tactics. It, it's the manager's job to identify that players aren't up for it or aren't com- showing commitment, and then making them show that commitment. And uh, again, I go back to the personality of the manager. If you if we compare now to managers we've had. We had, we had success under Adkins, um, because you speak to any player that played for Nigel Adkins for Saints, they adored the man. He wasn't a strict disciplinary, disciplinarian, but they adored him. They, they wanted to play for him. Then we had Pochettino, who was similar, 
players love playing for him. You can see that with Spurs now as well. They'll you know they'll run through brick walls for him. Then we have Koeman, take pay cuts from him. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, and and then you've got Kuman, who's a slightly different approach, which is he's a disciplinarian. With Kuman, it's my way or the highway. Right. You know whether that's with the players or with the board, he will, he's happy to upset people, but it it got results because people know they can't mess him around. Then we went to Claude Puel, who, as we said, on paper did a good job, but there seemed to be unrest for the players behind the scenes. And Pellegrino, I think, might be a similar character. And he's a much, he's not a disciplinarian. He's not a huggy, feely, you're all my sons, you know, like, like some of our previous managers are. And what my concern is, is have our board gone for Pure and then Pellegrino because they didn't like having a Kuman who's a who's a my way or the highway type of guy. Right. And that goes up as well. So have they gone for more placid characters intentionally because they they want someone who isn't gonna answer them back. But the side effect of that is we've now got managers that the players aren't reacting to because they're neither being disciplined by them or or getting that warm feeling from them. Right. I don't know. That's my concern. My concern with Kuehl and now the same with Pellegrino is that perhaps they're not the right personalities. And what 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 makes that even more of a concern is we, we pushed and pushed and pushed to get Kuehl out and maybe we were right to do that. But if you look at their records of the two of them, they might have the same personality, but actually on, on paper, Kuehl is the, success, what, the man with success behind it. Yeah. You know, Champions League semi-finals, league titles. Pellegrino hasn't got that, so it, it, it's scarily looking like we've gone for a similar personality to Pure, but with less experience. Yeah, yeah. And that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's my concern, and 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 I think it has to be addressed one way or another. Sure. There also seems to be kind of a, a drastic kind of change in in managerial approval from week to week. We go to Man City, and people say, you know, it's a great performance. It was a tactical masterclass. It was this. It was that. Um, and not everybody agrees with that. Obviously, some people think it's you, you go and you sit that many people behind the ball, like you don't deserve to win. Um, but then you go to a, a game like like Leicester City, and and to me, I'm looking at that match, going, I, I'm putting that more on the players, and and it is on the manager because he has to find a way to 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 motivate them and and, and maybe make those changes and everything else. But to me, all we can train it if you're giving it your all, and we're coming off of a short rest anyway. And I have to put the, the team out there that I think is the best and, and, and can do it. And I do that and you don't show up like, you know, I, I making changes 10 minutes in or, or 20 minutes in doesn't really do anything in the long term, you know? But it's a, it's a perception issue as well, because if we had gone to Man City and been thumped 4-1 and then lost to Leicester 2-1 at home because they got a last minute goal and we were unlucky, it, it would, the perception would be completely different. It would be, it wouldn't be so bad. Because right. you would expect to get thumped at Man City. Right. And if Leicester had scored like in the last minute, that happens. But because it was the other way around and Man City scored in the last minute and were a little bit fortunate to beat us, but they're still Man City, so you expect to lose it. Right. But then Leicester come to St. Mary's and beat us 4-1 and that's disastrous. The points and goal difference outcome is the same, but perception wise, it's a lot worse this way around. Right, right. And I guess, you know, we were looking at this, we've been looking at this December or, or holiday fixture list since it, since the schedules came out. We looked at those first 10 matches, said we have to get this many points here. And then there are going to be matches in interspersed between Arsenal and Man City. And, um, and we were looking at Everton at the time before the season started and thinking that was going to be a tough match. You know, and we're looking at teams like Leicester and like Huddersfield uh, next weekend. And we're saying, you know, these are the teams we should be beating. And 
And I'm not even sure we can say that anymore. You know, I think, I think if you're, if you're the manager and at the start of the season, you get given your 38 game fixture list, what any good manager will do is they'll go through that fixture list one by one and they'll mark next to it the points they expect to get in that game. So away at Man City, zero. You expect to get zero. Anything more is a bonus. But then when you get to Watford at home, uh, Burnley at home, Swansea at home, Leicester at home, no two ways about it. With with our squad, the number next to that picture should be three points. Yeah. And that at the moment isn't being delivered. Correct. And that's the scary point because if you don't, if you're not picking those points up, but you're also getting zeros next to the ones you expect to get zeros, there's only one way you're going, and that's down. Right. Right. Ah. <sighs> Um, all right. Depressing, huh? It is. Happy it Christmas. is. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not great. <laughs> um, then, you know, we come off of that performance and I don't think obviously nobody was happy with it. I don't think the players were happy with it. I don't think, you know, you or I were happy with it. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook. I, I question, a, I question a player that comes off that game and they all do the, they all do the sound weight interviews after where sure. they all say it's not good enough. It's not good enough. But why doesn't interviewers say to them, well, why isn't it good enough? You know, you, you're walking off the pitch saying it wasn't good enough, but we've just watched you stink the place out for 90 minutes. So, so if you know it wasn't good enough, then why? Why wasn't it good enough? That's you know, you're in control of that. We're not. Right. And that's and what it, frustrates me. And then how I mean, do you Saints, change it? Saints do something. Saints do social media so well when everything's going going well. But when it's going bad, we just seem to rub our fate, rub our noses in it with these you know stupid videos of them scoring amazing goals in training. And all laughing and joking. I think when you're on a poor on a poor, we don't need to see that. It, it does. It definitely does rub people the wrong way. It de- yeah. Uh, and the sound the sound bites after a four one defeat of players going, "Oh, we know it wasn't good enough, and we've got to, we've got to react." I don't I don't really care what they've got to say after a game like that. You know, I, I, I don't. I'm not interested in in standard media trained football footballer responses. It's not. It's just. It's it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Sure. The, the way the way the way you show that you're going to react is by actually reacting. Yeah, give us something tangible to to base that off of, you know. Like, yeah, don't don't say anything after a game like that. Don't say anything to anyone. Don't don't do interviews saying, "Oh, we know it was bad." It's just in the next game, just go and you know break your neck to do the best you can. Yeah, that's all we ask. Yeah, that's all we want, really. Um, on that note, do you think that the team did that Saturday against Chelsea? It was much better. I mean, it was much better without ever looking like. You know, we could get anything from the game, but again, Chelsea away—that's one of your zeros. So, from from possession point of view, who realistically thought we were going to go and win that game yesterday? Right. Not many. Not many people. So, from a result point of view, it's not that bad because it's what you expect, and the performance was better in many ways. But again, you can look at, you can analyze that game and say, well, perhaps we should have had a point. Yeah. We should have come away with a point because. We had, we had a couple of chances. The goal was, again, was sloppy that we've let in. You know, individual mistakes uh, cost us a point, potentially. Right, right. Uh, they were saying before the match that this is, since we've been promoted, this is the worst start we've had, um, which I, I think that goes without saying. I think that's just NBC needed something to say before the kickoff while the referee was staring at his watch. But um, I thought that when we started that match yesterday, you know, there was a lot of talk beforehand about the lineup that was selected. I think most people tended to agree that Van Dyke should have been dropped, and it sounds like you're in that in that camp as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all very well um, over the summer putting our foot down and saying we're not selling 
Van Dyke, you know, we don't want to sell him, blah, blah, blah. Like all this hustle and bustle that went on in the summer, that's fine. And we know at his best he's a world-class defender. But that doesn't mean you can allow him to be picked no matter what. And I had no issue with him shaking the team up after that Leicester game because no one made a claim to say that they should definitely start the next game. And Van Dyke's included in that. Um, we have a decent set of centre-backs, I think, to the point where now I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, that if we get a decent offer of Van Dyke in January, let's, let's move him on. I don't, I don't think he's interested in playing for us. So let, let's move him on and let's reinvest the money. I think, uh, I think more and more people are getting there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's only so much. You know, let, let's be let's be honest. Now, I'm going to be a little bit cynical, but okay. this is this is this is the way I see it. Not selling Van Dyke in the summer wasn't about for Saints fans. It wasn't about we mustn't sell Van Dyke. It was we mustn't sell Van Dyke to Liverpool. That's what it came down to. If if, if we had sold him for 50 million to Man City or Chelsea or Arsenal, we'd have been fine with that. But now we, now we're stuck with a player that if he's not interested in playing for us. Then he's, then there's no point in being around. So we may as well cash in on him. Yeah. Before the value starts to drop because. Exactly. If he, if he performs like that every week, because he's not interested, then his value is going to go down and down and down. I, I think you make a good argument there. It, when, initially, that was my biggest shock was to see him not in there because I, I guess I was kind of a, of the, under the impression that, that he is our best player. He is the, he is the best defender we have, but maybe he isn't as, as far and away the best player as, as I thought he was, you know, maybe those other center backs are actually much closer to his ability level. Um, whether it's because he is not as not a hundred percent committed or, or maybe just cause the, those other guys are actually really, really good as well. Um, so maybe he doesn't deserve that kind of well, elite status. I think from his point of view, if we look at it from, from Van Dyke's point of view, he, no two ways about it in his, his mind, his future is not at Southampton. I don't think anyone would argue that that, that could possibly be the case. His future, whether it's January, the summer, whatever, is not at Saints. So if you look at it from his point of view, he's not long back from a serious injury. He, he psychologically, he might be going into these games now, playing the Saints, thinking, well, I don't want to get injured again. So if I just bide my time and amble through the games, then I'll still be fit. What if, if, you know, he might be thinking, what if I bust the gut for Southampton and get injured again? And then my dream move is gone right. for the next year. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying he's consciously decided that, but you know, there's, there's a, there's a big element of psychology in sport these days. And perhaps subconsciously he's, he's, he's not putting the effort because he doesn't want to get injured again. Sure. And not because he doesn't want to get injured again because he wants to play the Saints. But if he gets injured again, he's, he's, he's putting in jeopardy, uh, a move to Liverpool or whoever it is he wants to play for. Sure. Sure. But from a Saints point of view, that's not acceptable. And Pellegrino made a comment before the game that, about his team selection that he can, he can only pick those that are committed to the club. And that, in Van Dyke's case in particular, spoke volumes to me. Because like you say, he's our best player. He's our best centre half. If, if he's fit, he should be playing. So if the manager's saying I can only pick who's committed to the club and he's on the bench, I'm, I'm afraid that's the fat lady is, uh, warming her throat up. Given that, is the manager kind of cutting off his nose despite his face? Because by not doing that, you're, we're looking at a, a team that is maybe less likely to, to, to pull out a victory against a Chelsea or pull out a draw against a Chelsea or even uh, any other team in the Premier League. And are, because, because the more times that, that he doesn't pick the best team and we lose, 
the pressure on the manager grows. And so I think he's caught in a kind of a weird position of sending that message to to the the fans and to the players that that I have to pick the people who are here to back the patch on the front instead of the name on the back versus, you know, just going out there and putting the best team out there because we have to win. Um, do you think well, he, he's endangering himself at all in all of this? Potentially, yeah. I mean, there's an argument to say you always always pick your best players, but there's also, um, he's got a dressing room to manage. And if Van Dyke goes out every week stinking the place up and the next week Pellegrino picks him again, what does that, what message does that send to Jack Stevens or Wesley Hurt or, or whoever? Um, the, what, the point is for me with Van Dyke, it'd be, it would be different if we were struggling for centre halves. But okay. it, in Yoshida, Hurt and Stevens, I think we've got a decent set of centre halves there. So, do we need Van Dyke? Is Van Dyke as key a player as we thought? I mean, if you look at the game, with those three at the back, we conceded one goal to Chelsea, which was a free kick. Yeah. So, the centre halves didn't do a particularly bad job in that game. So, is it, is it a problem? I, I think we, I think last season, we might have built up Van Dyke to be more important to us than he is. And yeah. that, that, that's a, that was a, that was a side effect of Font going, Font leaving, and then Van Dyke getting injured made Van Dyke seem like this irreplaceable god. When actually, based on this season, I'm not sure he's as important as we thought he was, especially if he's not 100% committed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess moving on to look at uh, some other aspects of the game, because, there were some things I think here that we can we can look at in in somewhat of a positive fashion. Although we did lose, and you know Yoshida gave away that free kick right at the end, and Forrester probably should have saved it. He saved, uh, he made a couple other saves uh, on the day that I thought were good, but in the end, obviously it, it didn't happen. But I think maybe um, something we need to look at is is both of our fullbacks came off injured yesterday, um, yeah. and that's going to. I think we have two of the best fullbacks in the Premier League. I don't. I I, I would tend to choose them over most other fullbacks, wingbacks. It doesn't matter. I think they're great. I think the drop-off in quality after that is going to be huge. Uh, I don't dislike Jeremy P.A. or Payet or whatever his, his name, however you pronounce it, um, but he's not Cedric. Um, and then you look over on the left-hand side, um, Matt Target is definitely not Bertrand. Um, you have Sam McQueen, who who has played over there in the in the past, and, and you kind of wonder uh, who's, who's going to do that. But, um, I don't know anything else kind of in the match before we kind of talk about the, the, well, the fullbacks and the injuries that, that really stood out to you with something that needs to be addressed. I mean, we, you know, not really. We, we, have, we, we made the odd chance. I think I, one of the most frustrating things, and I know I'm not alone in this. One of the most frustrating things watching Saints at the moment is watching Nathan Redmond get released for the ball because he seems to get the ball in key positions and he's got pace, and he goes and he goes and he goes, and you think, and you think, this is it, this is it, this is it, put the right ball in, and then he goes back, and then he stops, and then he goes back again, and then he stops, and then it just comes to nothing. It, what, what, he'll either get dispossessed, or he'll pass the ball all the way back to one of the centre halves. Right, right. And that, that kid is, has got the ability, I'm absolutely certain of it. I'll, I'll bang the drum for him. He's got the ability, I think he's, absolutely zero confidence at the moment and again you know what what's where's the motivation for him because it just he just looks like he doesn't want to do anything with the ball once he gets there and i think he's a, another one who's taken some criticism 
and perhaps that's affecting him more than people realize. And because of the criticism, he doesn't want to take any risks. Yeah. And, and when he's picked in that formation, I think he's there to one, be that long release, you know, if we need yeah. to, to clear it and run the ball down uh, into the channels and things like that. And two, to, to help the striker press. Like the, I think yeah. those are his jobs there. And yeah. he, Gabbiadini was making runs kind of all day yesterday and we couldn't find him either from the deeper line midfield positions or with Redmond when he was running with the ball, we, we, we couldn't do it. And Redmond is frustrating because it's just like, if you just take, if you took two more steps and went by someone, there are chances there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, You've got, it's, it's part, it's partly the fans fault as well, because it's, it's the same, with, it's the same with Buffal. If, if you've got a player like Redmond and Buffal, for them to do what they do best, you've got to accept that occasionally it's not going to work and they're going to lose the ball. Mm-hmm. But instead of, you know, massive collective groan, you've got, to, you've got to encourage players like that. And that's, I think, Redmond's problem. He gets into that position and he thinks, right, I can either try something here, but if it doesn't come off, I'm going to get a load of grief from the crowd. Right. Or I can play a nice simple pass back to Romano there in midfield and no one's on my back. Sure. And, and it's, psychology, it's psychology again. Uh, to use something from the Arsenal game as a, as an example, Alexis lost the ball. I think it was either 37 or 38 times that he was dispossessed that many times yeah, that match. Of course. But the, be- the best but, players will be. Yeah. But he puts in that cross that gets them the goal that gets them the draw. Like that, that's the risk that comes with playing a player like that. Now, and there is something to be said that you can't have too many of those players on the pitch that way because, yeah. you know, but 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 that they're out there with that expectation that that knowledge that that's going to happen but you got to do the other side of of it too you know you got to you got to allow them to to get at people if they're not going to get at people then they need, probably need to come off the pitch it's like you know you look at the the goal the ridiculous goal that Buffon scored against West Brom right if if the crowd if the crowd groans and gets his back gets on his back every time he loses the ball trying to take someone on then those goals are going to go. There's going to be no more goals like that because he's going to go right. Well, I'm not going to take people on anymore. Right. I'm going to I'm going to play a safe pass backwards or sideways because I'm not going to take people on because I get too much grief. And I think that's the position Redmond's in. In, in Redmond's first season, he was taking people on and he was having shots from 30 yards and he was putting crosses in. Now he just he just seems to want to do anything but. Right. The only other explanation is that he's it's being coached out of him, and I really don't want to believe that our manager is telling one of our more dynamic forwards, when you get to the edge of the box, pass it backwards. Don't, you know, don't take any risks because then, you know, we might as well give up. God, I mean, looking at some of the stats, Chelsea managed 24 shots, 16 of those on target. We had players putting blocks in, putting challenges was, in, in, in the area. We, Forrester was making saves and things like that. The commitment seemed to be there slightly yeah, more. Yeah, much more. Much more committed performance than it was against Leicester. The amount, if you look at the stats, the amount of tackles our defenders put in compared to against Leicester is considerably higher, like seven or eight times higher. Right. And, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a motivational thing. Maybe they, because they're playing Chelsea, there's a there's a subconscious need to play better or be more committed, which would explain the Arsenal games and the Man City games. But if that's the case, then again, it's down to motivation. What they need to be motivated to play every team. Yeah. And, and you would have thought though, that, that the Leicester city game, you know, this is the manager who came in that you dislike so much that he's gone. You should yeah. be up for that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why didn't they want to, you know, show him what they can do without his restrictions? Right. But maybe they've got new restrictions. That's, yeah. Uh, 
and I have to make an, I have to make a comment on Forster as well because I mean I felt I felt for him a little bit because it, it was, it's the true goalkeeper's curse. To he did make some decent saves in that game, but he's you know he has to take the blame for the for the defeat because yeah. we've lost one nil and he should take that. There's no two ways about it. It, it's, it was the classic Forster non-save where he's gone down so slow that he's given himself no chance. I mean, he was he was still messing around with his wall. I don't think his wall was set up right either. So it's I mean, let's not let Yoshida get away with it. It's a stupid foul to give uh-huh. away in the first place. But Forster's got to do better, and we're we're now in a situation where if we don't have a dreadful team performance and get hammered, we're having an okay team performance, but an individual mistake is losing us the game. We're we're doing a very good job at the moment of finding ways to lose games. Yes. Yes, and that's, that's just that's just a pretty poor situation to be in. Uh, absolutely. Um, there are other talking points that we could go through in the game if, if we really wanted to, but I think we've kind of summed them up enough. Uh, there was one moment at the end of the match where I think we we almost cost ourselves any chance of getting back into it. We fouled Murata. They took the free kick very quickly. We weren't quite ready, and Fabregas kind of rolled that ball across the line. And had that gone in, that would have been game over right there. Uh, it didn't, but uh, obviously we didn't get back in the game anyway. But I think concerns moving forward are the fact that we have this kind of fixture congestion and both of our fullbacks are are injured. But as it sits now, we've, we've, we're 18 matches played. We're 12th on the table. We only have 18 points. That's not obviously good enough. Um, we, we're only we're now only one point ahead of Palace. Yeah. Who, and, uh, who started the season with seven defeats and no goals. And... You know, Everton are above us. I mean, it's it's not it's not looking good. And I've been I've been maybe easier on the manager and the team and believing that they're going to get this uh, together and turn it around. But it's I'm even getting to the point now where I'm starting to worry. Um, and I don't I think it's justified at this point, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, it, it, the problem the problem is you can be pragmatic and you can get to a point where you, you don't know what to do next. And if you're at that point, then it's very, very scary because I'm of the opinion now that perhaps Pellegrino is not the right man. Um, if he isn't, then we're in trouble if they don't get rid of him because, you know, where'd you go? If, he, if, if, if things stay as they are the rest of this season, we're in a relegation battle. And yeah. that's some, that's somewhere no one expected us to be at the start of the season, but that's, that's the way our form is going. Unfortunately, it, it seems bizarre, but. You know what, what? What's going on? I mean, I wonder who the um, who the steward, shop stewards are in our squad. You know, who's the who's the leader in the in the dressing room that's going to go to the board and say this guy's not good enough? You know, that's what that's what happens. Player, you know, senior players. You look at Chelsea. I mean, I mean, how many managers did John Terry get sacked? Right. But sometimes that that might be needed to be done because the board might be not realizing what's going on really they might think everything's rosy and we're just struggling a bit for being unlucky or whatever but it's it's a very worrying situation i, I mean right now i, I think if you if, if i'm les reed right now i think i'd be making the the, the difficult decision to, to move the manager on i really do i'm not sure uh, i, I but, still i'm still of the belief my, that that he might be my justification okay let me give you my justification my justification of that is that look at our squad on paper that is not a squad that should be struggling or get, or heading into a relegation battle. It simply isn't. That's that's a minimum. The worst case scenario. That's a 11th or 12th place squad. Worst case. Best case. That's a 7th or 8th place squad. So for, if it gets relegated, it will be horrendous. 
the guys on on Stat Attack, there's a, a Sky Sports does a, a podcast called Stat Attack that I really do enjoy, and they put together a list of all of the teams um, based on on squad value. So the the projected value if they were to sell uh, all of their all of their players and things like that, the money they would get, our rank there is eighth eighth place. We are the eighth most expensive squad in the Premier League. Um, and if you, if you kind of do the table based on that, I'll put it out later. Um, it doesn't look good cause you, you were, we're, we're down places, you know, we're down four places from where we should be. Um, and I've done this kind of most weeks and I'd usually just keep it to myself, but, um, I have a little note, uh, thing where I, you, you sort it based on the number of places you're down. And then you look at who's done what with their managers and, and really all the managers around us, all the managers below us have been sacked. Um, yeah. and, and so we're, we're creeping towards that. And I, like you said, I, you're not a reactionary person. You don't like to, to be that way. And I, I don't want to be either, but uh, I am worrying at this point. Well, you know, we, we're playing Huddersfield on Saturday. They're one place above us, three points above us. If the if the unthinkable happens, and let's face it, on this season's form, it's not unthinkable anymore. If they turn us over, they've just beaten Watford 4-1 at Watford. If they beat us on Saturday, that's that will be halfway of the season done. And we could be, you know... 15th, 16th, if other results don't go our way, sure. and we'll certainly be within a minimum of three points of the relegation zone. And that's half a season done. Right. You've got half, you've got half a season to recover. It's enough games to recover, but the way we're playing at the moment, you know, I can just, it's very difficult to see us come, come doing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the scary point. You, you're not, we're not going, we're not finishing games and saying, Oh, you know, well, we were quite unlucky today. No, we're being out, we're being outplayed by the teams that we should be beating. The teams that we shouldn't be beating, we seem to be doing a little bit better against. Mm-hmm. But the teams we should be beating aren't just beating us, they're beating us comfortably. Watford beat us very comfortably. Yes. Leicester beat us very comfortably. That's that's the worry for me. We've, if, if, you, if you break down the wins we've had, we're, we, we played Palace at their lowest ebb and only beat, only beat them 1-0. Uh-huh. We played West Ham, who were on poor form, and... We're lucky, perhaps, to beat them three-two. Uh-huh. That's two. That's two of our. That's two of our four wins. It's 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 pretty bleak. If you if you analyze it deep enough, yes. we're we're in quite a bleak situation. All right. All right. And a happy new year. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving forward into that match with Huddersfield, um, a squad, by the way, that our squad is four and a half times as expensive as theirs. But uh, it, going forward, any major changes to the team that you would suggest or think that we should try out? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see against Huddersfield. I'd, li- I'd like to see uh, Hoiberg and Lamina in midfield. If we're going to stick to this four-two-three-one, um, which, for the record, I don't have a problem with, I still think it's the best formation for for the players we've got. Um, I- I'd like to see Lamina and Hoiberg play together in the central role. I, I think Romeo's been off form for a while now. I don't think it'll do him any harm to to have a spell on the bench. Um, let's see how, how those two players get on because Lamina before prior to his injury was, was very good and Hoiberg's possibly been our best player of late. Um, so I'd like to see them two together just to see how they get on. And if you're going to do it, you may as well do it against Huddersfield. Um, yeah. for, I'd probably stick with, I'd probably give Hutton Hurt Stevens uh, a partnership at some point as well together. Um, it's, it's, there's a potential for a lack of experience, I guess, with them two, but you know, we've, we've got to now look at perhaps a, a, a future lacking Van Dyke. So why not, why not give them a go? Yeah. You, you would think that those two would be the center backs of the future. Uh, Yoshida is yeah. probably going to provide some of that veteran leadership. Van Dyke's probably moving on. Uh, Bednarak becomes the new Stevens and, and 
those two kind of move forward. But Hoiberg has earned himself a chance to play again. I think even last year, going back to some of the matches where him and Classy played together, he was the standout kind of midfielder. He can do more of that box-to-box role that really Romeu doesn't do very well. Um, yeah. Romeu, I think, is a, is a traditional kind of holding midfielder. And I think Lamina, as much as he tries to do it all, I think he that's more of his role as well. So you yeah. you let Hoiberg kind of run up and down and 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 do that and and get into the get into the box and things like that to help out the attack. I think that would be uh, that would be good. And a quick quick mention on Lamina as well. I, I, I meant to bring this up earlier when we were talking about uh, the fullbacks getting injured against Chelsea. Um, is, is there a concern that we're rushing players back from injury too fast? Um, Cedric Cedric came straight back into the team and uh, has got injured again. Um, and Lamina made a comment after the. Chelsea game to say that he's he's struggling with his ankle at the moment. Right, that he's not 100. percent Yeah. So if he's not 100, percent why is he playing? Right. Right. I mean, and then it, when he says that, it just makes me think back to that that first Mara's goal when he slips and doesn't really get up and, yeah. and attempt to get yeah. back in his way, you know. And he's a hundred a player who knows who themselves doesn't believe they're 100. percent How much commitment are they going to give you? It's that's another concern for me. If players if players themselves think they shouldn't be playing, then they shouldn't be playing. Yeah, and it, you know, maybe we've lost faith. I think we lost faith faith a long time ago in our youth squad. We don't seem to be using them like we used to. It's, it's very strange. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched any of the uh, the matches that they play. They're not they're not performing particularly well uh, no. week in week out. It's 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 somewhat disheartening because that is, uh, to be honest, that's one of those things. When I looked at at the club. The academy system was a big draw for me. I really liked that that idea uh, that the players were being brought through, that we were developing people, that we were identifying kind of um, young players who could who could be worked with and be made better and things like that. I really really like that idea, and now it's just it's not seeming like it's it's there. I think it's a shame that Sims is injured because I think he was making the you know making a, a play to be included more last season, and I think he's exactly the type of player we need at the moment. You know, very direct sort of wide player. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a shame that he's been injured. But then Hesketh has been in good form as an attacking midfielder and he's not, not been given a chance. So, you know, uh, have, have we gone as a club, are we moving away from this academy uh, reputation? Yeah. Because, I don't know, Pure, although Pure, I think, did, did use him, to be fair. But at the same time, he, he had more fixtures to deal with because of Europa League. My, my concern, I guess, is that We've, we've lost that identity. We've lost, we've lost that. We built up a very good reputation as being a team that used its youth players and played dynamic attacking football. We yeah. had that. We had that under Adkins. We had it under Pochettino. We had it under Kuman. It went awry under Pure and it, and it doesn't seem to be going back anytime soon. All right. Well, uh, maybe this kind of goes into it uh, a little bit. Um, I have a listener question here from Todrick, who's at Todrick33. Um, he says, I have a question for your next guest. I'd like to know your thoughts on McQueen. I'm a huge fan of speedy wing play and would love to see more of him and other young talent. It kind of goes to what we're talking about now. But in the context of Bertrand being injured, do you think McQueen comes in and plays a role in that either wingback role or in, in the in the left side of fullback role if Bertrand is out for an extended period of time? Well, I think based on his performances when he has played, I don't think he's done anything particularly wrong. I mean, I don't think he's, he's not as good as Bertrand. He's not... He's, He's never going to unseat Bertrand, if you like, from the position. But at the same time, he's never really done anything wrong when he's been asked to play there. So, I, I mean, personally, I don't have an issue with him as a, as a backup full, fullback. 
Um, I also don't have an issue with Target as a backup fullback, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that uh, Todrick said about speedy wing play because, of course, McQueen was a winger. Right. He's, o- he's only played, he's only been playing left back since he's got an opportunity with the first team. He, he was always a winger in the youth teams. And he, when he went on loan uh, to South End, I think it was, he played on the wing for them. And I think he scored a few goals. Yeah. So it, it makes you wonder why he's not been given a chance you know, in the in the front three out wide because you know we're not we're not pulling up trees in sure. that position. Sure. So if, if he can do that job, the same goes for Heskett. You know, in the position we're not pulling up trees in, why are they not being given a given a chance to show us what they can do? If you think about all these young players in in, in the Saints Academy, they came to Saints because Saints is sold. Saints as a club is sold to young players on this notion that we're the route to the first team. Sure. You know, player is, is famously players have chosen to join Saints Academy ahead of Chelsea or Man United or Liverpool because at those clubs they they traditionally don't wouldn't get a chance in the first team. Whereas at Saints, we've got a conveyor belt of players coming through. Now, what concerns me, I guess, is that if if you've got a player like McQueen or Heskett who's been sold this idea that Saints will give them give them the path to the first team, and they're playing for the under 23s, not even getting on the bench for the first team. And Redmond is having a period of very poor form. Their motivation must be down to zero. Yeah. Because if 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 the players in your position in the first team aren't playing well and you're not getting a chance, then you know that you're never going to get that chance. Because if Red if Redmond finds form, then you then that's that's your chance gone. I don't know what what's happened in the the Southampton way, which of course is nonsense anyway. This this the Southampton way. It, I mean, it's just it's just blurb, isn't it? It doesn't mean anything really doesn't mean anything but it's this marketing way that we've sold the club on and to a to a point we were doing that we were playing nice football we were giving kids a chance and it it just seems to have all gone away i i I wonder if we're we're just we just let our expectations run away with us a little bit and and we've been due this sort of lull i don't know either way either way we don't want it that, that's a it's a very real possibility. We have another question from Shannon Smith, who's at Shannon Smith too. He said, is it diva players or managerial incompetence? Uh, I think we kind of addressed that at the beginning of the show, so we won't rehash it here unless there's anything you'd like to add to it. Yeah, it's a, a little of column A and a little of column B. Yeah. yeah simple as that. It's a, that that's, that's the problem is that as a combination, it's not, not great. You can, you can have diva players, but with a good manager, you get away with it. Or you can have an incompetent manager... Harry Redknapp, for, for example, but have good players like like he had at Spurs, and they got to the Champions League. So, it, it, but you have diva players and managerial incompetence. It's not not ideal. No, 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 no. Um, all right. So I I have a a, a couple of questions for you. Uh, a slight a slight quiz, if you will. Um, okay. And we, we touched on this earlier. We talked about kind of making or the individual errors costing us costing us games. So um. In terms of uh, expected goals against that Optostat that they have come up with, um, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with it at least a little bit. Um, so expected goals against, do we rank top six, mid table, or relegation zone in terms of the number and quality of chances we're allowing other teams? Oh, I think we'd we'd, we'd do pretty well in that. Yeah, yeah, we are uh, we are a top six side if you just look at the quality and the number of chances we have allowed other teams. Uh, let's yeah. let's drop down then to are we in the top six mid table or relegation zone in terms of defensive errors, number of defensive errors? 
And again, I think we do quite well. I think we'd be expected to do well. We are the second worst in terms of defensive oh, really? errors. We are ni- uh, 19 defensive errors um, that that's have. Bad, that's cool. It is. It is. Um, and can you name the player on the squad who has made the most defensive errors? And it's not a defender. Okay. The player who's made the most. Well, I'm going to go for just because of the way he plays, he loses the ball a lot, I guess. I'd maybe boof out. Okay. It's not him. He's a really big guy. A Romeo? <laughs> Forrester. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. That's, I, not, I was, that's not, actually I, that surprising. When I you think, said not defender, I was thinking of attackers. Yeah, so Forrester has six individual errors, um, which ranks most in the Premier League. And um, we were talking earlier about just the the fact that it's those individual mistakes that are costing us. And, and I, I think the that the stats kind of back that up a little bit where the quality of chances that we're conceding uh, on a, on a regular basis are not, are not bad. Uh, you, you know, you were, we're doing quite well, but it's the, it's the, the fouls that we give away on the edge of the box that lead to yeah. a, a free kick or giving the ball away when, like when Tadic did that the other day, uh, when he gave the ball away right on the edge of the area, that those types of things are costing us. And right now I don't think we're good enough to f- be able to overcome those, those issues. It's, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? I, I mean, you, I'm looking at the league table now, and how many how many teams above us in the table right now would you swap swap squads with? There's the obvious ones, sure. But would you swap squads with Burnley? <laughs> no. We're in fifth. No. Would you swap squads with Leicester? No. Watford. No. 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 Huddersfield. <laughs> no. God. No. So there we go. That 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 in itself tells tells you everything you need to know about. Yeah, the team, the fact the team's underperforming. Jesus, I mean, yeah. If you start to look at some of those teams who are below us too, and just the type of form they've been in, and and how close they are to us now, it it doesn't it doesn't spell good things for us. But I do want to say thank you for coming on the show uh, for episode fifty. That I I'm happy that we got to to chat again, and uh, I'm sorry it maybe isn't under the the best of circumstances, but I I have enjoyed talking to you. You made me laugh quite a few times, so I appreciate that. And uh, I'd love to do this again if, if you're up for it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, um, it's the hope that kills you, I think, and, and supporting Saints. But when, when we're when we're poor, at least it gives us more to talk about. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but someone someone famously said that you learn a lot more about yourself when you're losing. And yeah. I think that's definitely true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't dislike doing the show anymore when we're losing. I, I enjoy talking about the team, and but I am searching for answers at this point. You know, I, I maybe. It, It'd be boring if, if we were winning every week. The show would never be any interest, right? Yeah, it just talk about how good we were. Yeah, you know, patting um, each other on the back. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I'm going to the Huddersfield game on Saturday, uh, so hopefully, last season I had a hundred percent record at home of wins. So hopefully, I can bring us a little bit of luck. All right, and if not, I'll be turning the air blue. <laughs> well, it'll be uh, it'll be a good. Uh, Christmas present if you can give us a, a home win with some goals. Yeah, no promises. No, well, that's okay. Um, and uh, I don't know if I can say that you're taking your fiance to her first ever uh, trip to St. Mary's. That's right, yeah. So I hope that you guys have an enjoyable time. Um, and hopefully it's not, you know, miserably cold or anything else. I'll be I'll be sitting in California where it will be something like 65 or 70 degrees on, on Christmas Day and I'll be really, really enjoying myself. Have a good Christmas. You too, man.
that does it for episode 50 of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Chris Ran. You can find him on Twitter at CRStig, and you can visit his website at georgewarescousin.com. There were lots of changes on this week's show. Please let us know what you think of them by getting in contact with us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram at SFCDELL underscore IVERY, and we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. We will be back next week with another episode, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcasts to be sure that you do not miss an episode. And a reminder, we're also available on SoundCloud and YouTube. All music for this episode comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. The end of show credits that you're listening to now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. And other songs include 1.26 Beat 1 by BOPD. Links to all of those songs are in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. Before we go, we want to encourage you to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Matt, who runs the page, has been a guest on the show. He did the logo. He's been a huge help, and his page is truly great. So head on over to the We Are Southampton page on Instagram and check it out. Once again, my name is Matt Markstone. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope that you've enjoyed it. And until next time, remember that together, we march on.